I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, and I can't even describe it. There wasn't like a specific, again, plan. I didn't say I want to, you know, do this or do that, but the thought that I cannot bear to be here anymore. I can't, I'm failing. I can't do this. Like everyone's better off. Like it was just too much. Yeah. Yeah. Too much. Hi guys. I'm your host, Megan Van Diepender, and this is the Empowerhood Podcast. I am so happy to have you here. You know, motherhood is hard and we are going to talk about all of the hard things that just are not talked about enough. So buckle up and enjoy this episode. So hi, Amanda. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here again. Second time's better. Thanks right? for having me. I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, everyone out there listening in today, we have Amanda C. here with us. And Amanda, I'm not even going to attempt to say your last name. How do you say it? Katumbas. <laughs> oh, it's actually easier than I thought. Okay, like looking at it, I was like, yeah. oh my God, I'm going to butcher this. Katumbas. Okay. So Amanda is here today to talk with us about, you know, her motherhood journey and battling with postpartum depression, how it looks different really during every postpartum period for each of her children. Um, And, you know, all of the resources and support she was able to find to be able to help her through these hard times. Um, And Amanda, I really appreciate you being here because I feel like this is so common, um, you know, to have postpartum depression or postpartum blues and it's just not you know, spoken about enough. So I, I really am so proud of you and you're super brave. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. So why don't you start with a little bit about you and um, start from the beginning? The beginning? Um, well, I'm a mom of three. I had my first when I was 25 or 26. Uh, she was a preemie. So my, my motherhood journey was kind of thrust at me you know, I thought I had more time. I didn't, I didn't even know what a preemie was, uh, before I, nobody I know had had a baby, anything other than full term. So I'd never seen a baby that tiny. Um, how, how early was she? She was like three months early. She was like wow. 29 weeks. So oh, wow. Wow. Just under three months. Yeah. She was three pounds. So for, she was a, a big preemie, I suppose you can say. So at three we were very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, no, seriously. And uh, we were very lucky in the sense that she didn't have any, like, really big deficits, like no breathe. She had to be on a breathing tube for maybe a day. Uh, she kept ripping it out. So they were like, well, we'll just try her. And she just needed to grow. And I know I a little bit sound spoiled in the sense that, like, I'm not complaining, but it was really hard to watch that, like, just sit and wait. It's like, hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. Um, so six weeks later, exactly six weeks, we were busting out of there. And I don't think that's when, I don't think that's until when, like, I started to get hit with all those crazy emotions because yeah. you're in autopilot, like, just being yeah. strong for this tiny human uh just doing everything you can to help and get her out of there. I mean, I was attempting to pump and there, I didn't even have anything coming out yet. Like, so when they're trying to give her anything, we were a small little syringe with 
less than an ounce, but still enough for like a cotton swab was a big deal. Wow. So my God, uh, you're giving me goosebumps because yeah, you had her so early, your milk supply wasn't even in. I it didn't it, even catch up yet. Wow. What? Like, what were you able to do while she was in the NICU? Like, were you able to touch her or hold her or anything like that? So for the first couple weeks, only she could only come out one time. My husband didn't even hold her, I think, until she was maybe two or three days old. And then after that, we'd have to alternate. And I was spending, in the first couple weeks, I was spending all my time there. I could reach in, you know, her isolate. There were little holes and... I was dying for diaper change time. I was waiting for her to pee, which is so crazy. Right. You're like, you're like, come on, let's open, let's (laughs) just pee so I can open, open this up and get a smell of you. Oh my God. Yeah. So that was difficult. Uh, But again, we were on autopilot that I didn't even realize how much it bothered me until when I was telling people and I thought it was normal. People like, wasn't that terrible? I'm like, I guess so. Oh like, my god! Yeah, that sucks. Oh my and god! Yeah, so yeah, not normal while, at all. That is not normal no. at all. Yeah. But to me, I was like, Meh. right, and it was your no, first baby too, so you didn't really like have anything to compare no it to. Yeah, yeah. And then I was so when she came home, I was so excited that people like my brothers and sisters, half of them were under. I think the age was like sixteen, maybe that you could come into the NICU. Okay. So, uh, Clancy and Ian definitely couldn't come. Um, Clancy snuck in one day being like, yeah, I'm 14. <laughs> like, but, um, nobody, like nobody could come like, and even the people that could come, I didn't know until the, like, the last couple of days. I didn't even know they could, I thought it was just parents. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, not even being able to have your family there. I just like you're going through this crazy, crazy event and just to not even have, I mean, obviously they're supporting you, but to not have them present in, in the room with you during this hard time must've been so, so hard for you. Like, you know, my family, you know, us from, you know, way far back, you know, how close we all are. So that for me was particularly difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you feel like during the time that it was just like a whirlwind, like that, you know, everything's moving super fast around you, but you're not moving within that moment. Like when she's not gaining weight, you're not able to take her out like that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And especially looking back, like in that moment, I'm like, it was, like I said, she just had to learn to regulate her body temp, eat, Mm. you know, like suck and swallow and, um, not a bit not have like spells of like bradycardia where she'd like stop breathing. Wow. Like that was the big thing. She needed to have five consecutive, I think days of no Brady spells before she could come home. Wow. And the, I think she was on like day four and a half. We were like moving. We didn't even move yet. We were like, had a, had a house, like a new house to move into. We went, so like everything was so crazy and we were on like day four and a half and we had like in the middle of moving the doctor called me and they're like hey she just had a spell and I'm like god damn it yeah so it starts all over again right and that right. I mean, devastating those devastating. were the hardest moments 
those were the hardest moments of like, we're ready. Once she was finally ready and that was the last piece of the puzzle to come home, you know, that was everything up leading up to that was almost like, I can't believe the last five weeks just happened. I, I can't even like imagine what you were going through. So like, cause I mean, just those events in themselves would cause such an amount of stress and like find trying to find hope, you know, within this situation, mm-hmm. like that could put you into a depression right there, but you just birthed a child. So you're in your postpartum period earlier than you thought yep. you just went through delivery and then you have to throw yourself into this like fight or flight state to keep your daughter alive and be there. That's for exactly her. what it was. Like, like I was in a constant state of fight or flight. Yes. Then a little bit of, you know, I've worked through it with my therapist because like there are times where like I still get hit with it, like around her birthday. Yeah. When I see like all these memories pop up, I'm like, I'm so lucky Yeah. that nothing went terribly wrong. But like you almost, NICU, NICU life is weird because her little neighbor didn't survive. You almost have wow. like survivor's guilt and you're like, okay, be grateful for what you have because this mom is oh going through like my best day of getting her out of there was another person's worst day. Right. So it's like that, that kind of all factored into it. Like I thought about that baby a lot when I got home and wow. then after I got home, it was a lot of, there was a lot of people. And for a while I was so happy because there were, they could walk around a room with her. You know, I could go take a shower and right. have someone sit here and and know she was okay right yeah but I got where it became kind of tricky for me and where the postpartum like anxiety and depression came in was when I didn't know how to ask for space like I wanted I craved those moments with just my baby Mm -hmm. and I was still it's like I was torn between being excited and wanting everyone around but also the part of grieving those very first moments that I didn't get to have caught up with me. And I was like, I pushed everyone kind of away. I was like, okay, okay. I'm done. Yeah. And my mom was the only person that was like, you're not an alone person. What's going on? Right. And I couldn't, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just, I need these moments with my baby. I'm so grateful for the help. And everyone's like, let me take her. Like, you know, let me do this. Let me do that. And I hadn't been able to do all that by myself yet. Yeah. So I kind of, I got really anxious about the idea of people after it's like a switch. I was so excited. Then I was so anxious. Right. And And you isolated, right? You isolated. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Even my husband was like, he like shoved a gift certificate like for the nail salon in front of me and was like, I got this, go use it. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. But like, I'll miss her. Like we finally have a minute alone with her. He's like, but I, I have her and I want that time with her too. And you need to get out of this house. Right. And so it kind felt of, like you it were kind trying of like that to like Julian too. Okay. So you were trying to like almost like make up for that lost time that you had for Mm -hmm. her or you just felt, well, 
I mean, I can't even imagine the anxiety you were feeling even coming home from the hospital. I just like just in, in itself to have your child home and she was a preemie um, and just to make sure that she was okay after like going through spells of like where she wasn't breathing, right? Yeah. So like, I mean, I just like having that on your mind, I feel like and, and having PTSD from all of this stuff. I, I, I That's just, exactly like, what it is. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And I think it's understandable to want that time. But I think there's there, did you feel like there was a difference between like being isolated and actually having your space? Like, would you say there's a difference between those two things? Absolutely. Having, you enjoy the, you enjoy having space. When I was isolating, I was anxious and mm -hmm. like, I don't even know how to explain it really. Like there was just, yeah. It just didn't feel I was right. happy, but no, yeah. no. So what happened? Like, what did you do? I went back to work would help. I went yeah. back to work. And I went back to work, actually, when she was in the hospital for a little bit. Um, because, and then God, I did because I had six weeks of time. Mm -hmm. And I would have had to come go back to work the day she came home. Right. So I went back to work for a little while. That did help me uh, break up the day and have adults to talk to. There's a, like, I don't know if you feel the same, but work besties and like fam work besties are like people that know everything about your life, mm -hmm. but also nobody in it. I can talk about Chris. I could talk about Dia. I could talk about, you know, anybody in my life. And they're like, oh yeah, like we, we know of them and having that, like, it was so nice to just like get back to that and be able to vent or whatever. And then once she came home, I, my, like, my coping and alone time was like, I went on a lot of walks. Mm -hmm. I tried yoga. I tried like all these things, mm -hmm. but I didn't even know. I didn't even know about like myself at that point. It, right. it even took a long time to like discover like what I like. Like everyone tells moms, oh, do yoga or you know, wait till the kids are sleeping, have a glass of wine, like this workout culture, the wine culture, the, mm -hmm. it doesn't like, I think until after I had Julian, I really, and put in the work, you know, especially after everything that happened this past mm -hmm. winter, um, I finally discovered what works for me. And I think, and I almost feel guilty because you realize that after Thea, after Violet, even after Julian a little bit, it was all autopilot. Yeah, I was yeah. going out and doing all the things, trying to trying to find myself, but it's very difficult. You lose yourself a little bit. Oh, it's yeah. very easy to. Well, not everyone does, but yeah, it's very easy to lose yourself in motherhood and pregnancy. And yeah, you really have to redefine yourself. But I mean, that mm -hmm. I think redefining yourself, um, like amongst feelings of depression and anxiety is really hard, right? Because like you said, you're trying to find yourself again already, yeah. but then you're feeling all these like not you feelings. So you feel totally outside your body, I assume. So did you get exactly. help with Thea? After Thea, did you get help? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of like playing, it was kind of like playing like therapy, therapist roulette a little bit. Having the right therapist, is super important if you're going to really commit to helping yourself mm -hmm. and putting in that work to 
find out why you're so anxious or good coping skills or whatever. It took a, it took about a year after I had Dia to really find a good match. And by then I was pregnant with Violet. Okay. So then the pregnancy hormones took into effect and right. You know, thank God I found her. I've been with her since I was pregnant with Violet. So. Okay. No, did you reach out yourself or like, how did it come about that you decided you wanted to get help? I talked to my mom a lot. My mom, as you know, has had eight kids. Yeah. So she knows, she knows all the feelings. And when I was telling her, I didn't even know that like what I was feeling was due to like, or had anything to do with hormones and postpartum yeah. and stuff. She's like, you can, your fourth trimester lasts technically the first year. The first 12 months are all considered mm-hmm. fourth trimester. And I didn't get that. Yeah. She's like, I feel like you're, what you're describing to me. So I was like, I just, I don't feel myself. I, I want to feel happy. And I, I feel like sometimes I feel happy, but not all the time. And she's like, I feel like you might need a little bit of, she's like, not help. Like, I don't want to tell you, you need help, but you know, just someone to help you work through these. Some support. Yeah. Yeah. And she, my mom was great through all that. She sat with me and called, like, I had my insurance fax over or email over a list of different therapists that take our insurance. And she sat with me and we kind of went through and found people that we thought would work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it was a process. Yeah. But... It worked out though. I mean, it took a bit, but you found someone that yeah. you really, really depend on. Yeah. And trust. I mean, I think that's oh, yeah. huge. Cause I mean, this is like your best friend, right? Like you tell them every single little thing oh, about yeah. you and you need to feel like you can trust them. Um, so I, I think yeah. that's, that's huge. And this kind of set you up, you know, for your next pregnancy and with Julian as well, that you already had this therapist mm-hmm. in place, right? Now, did you know, I guess after going through this with Thea, obviously your next children weren't preemies, but um, like, did you know what to expect feeling wise or was it completely different? Um, they kind of gave me the warning signs. We did take precautions, um, especially with Violet. We, I was on these progesterone shots from 16 weeks until 36. Okay. And they were like, we're going to, they watched my blood pressure like a hawk. They watched mm-hmm. everything that could like, you know, the, at my scans, they measured me every, they measured the baby. They measured me to make sure no dilation, no shortening, all that, because we have no like medical reason why Thea came so early. Okay. And that's like a whole nother topic of like, almost you feel guilty, like. Was it something I did? Because if it wasn't her or nothing was wrong with her, then it had to have been me. Uh-huh. In reality, that's not true. Right. I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> but like, I you, get what you're saying. That's just how your though. brain works. Yeah. That's just yeah. how my brain works. So I, w- I found a, um, a doctor that was pro-progesterone, and we made it through that, and they they watched me. They watched me. And it was scary. Mm. It was, it's like the more, you know, the scarier it is. Like, yeah. even with Julian, cause Violet was, Violet 
my pregnancy with V was pretty easy considering. Mm -hmm. Like there was same with Thea. I had minimal nausea. I was tired, but I also had a baby at home. Yeah. It was so it was all in my it was all in my mind. The challenges with Violet's pregnancy were all in my mind. It was all mental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's also so understandable because you just went through a traumatic event with Thea. And, like, how far apart is Thea and Violet? Like, 16 months. Yeah, so, like, you really, like, you probably were just starting to recover, you know, yeah. from your postpartum period, you know, to going to getting pregnant again and, and you know, delivering another child. So that's, like, a quick turnaround um, yeah. mentally and physically for sure. When we found out would be, I thought I went to the emergency room thinking I had kidney stones and they were like, no, you just have very bad back pain oh, no. because of the pregnancy. And I was like, uh, I'm getting married <laughs> in three days. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, Wait, insane. how far along were you when you found out? Like, I probably wouldn't have even popped up positive if I did an at-home test. But, like, I went to the emergency room in a panic being like, I, I'm i getting married in, like, three days. I have my rehearsal tomorrow. And I think I have kidney stones. And they... <laughs> oh, my God. They that's loaded hilarious. me up on pain meds first before they told me. So on top of being in shock, I was also all loopy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so that was that was the most excitement I had with her. Right. Oh, so. right. And her her delivery was fine and she was full term. Right. Everything went yeah. smoothly. OK. So when did the postpartum mm-hmm. like depression and anxiety come in for you with Violet? Um, I'd say. I don't know. I'd say like maybe she was about. A month or two, a month or two, like when everything started to finally regulate in, you know, my body, like we got, everything was crazy until we got her into a routine. And then all of a sudden we're in a routine and I'm still not feeling better. I recognized it quicker with her than I did with Thea. Okay. Um, what were you feeling, she, Amanda? I was feeling a whole bunch of anxiety, which made me not sleep. It made me super ragey. Mm-hmm. Like I was getting, I was losing patience with Thea, who was like 18 months at the time. I mean, I wasn't screaming or whatever, but in my mind, I was very short. Yeah. And the more she, like, she was sleeping through the night and I wasn't because I was so, the intrusive thoughts. That's what's the worst with this. And I know a lot of, moms can relate your intrusive thoughts are like is she breathing mm-hmm. you might not want to fall asleep because you know she might not be breathing when you wake up like mm-hmm. it's it's crazy and I know everyone says that like about the first time their baby sleeps through the night you're like <gasps> yeah but then the more regulated she got the more dysregulated I got yeah and sleep has always been when I get anxious, I don't sleep. Mm. I know some people like sleep away the day if they're feeling some sort of way and I'm the opposite. Yeah. So that was that snowball for me. Like 
I have pictures of myself from when my kids were babies and I just, you don't even recognize yourself. You have bags down to here. You just look like a shell. Yeah. And it wasn't until I saw one of those that I was like, Oh, that's when I started turning to medication again. I'd been kind of on and off throughout the years. And when I had babies and stuff that like, I kind of, stopped it, which is the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. If you're on medication, coming off of it is just, it's almost, it can almost make you worse than when you were. So yeah, it's funny you say that. Cause I have, um, the podcast coming out this weekend is, um, a reproductive psychiatrist. And so she manages medications for women that want to get pregnant and continue their medications while they're pregnant. That's like a big part of it. Um, yeah, I think exactly what you're saying. She says that she's just like the worst thing that you can do is come off of your medication. You just need to know what to take and how to take it while you're pregnant and be able to manage Mm -hmm. that. So, yeah. So continue. So you, you got off your medication, you went back on it. I went back on it, but the funny thing about medications for me, at least when, you know, your hormones all change when you have kids, I had a medication that I was on from 18 to, you know, after I had Thea. And when I tried to go back on it after Violet, something in my body had changed. Mm-hmm. Like they, they say like, oh, if you get like a full body rash after taking this, it's very dangerous stop immediately. And I was like, that's not going to happen to me. I've been taking it forever. And boom. Wow. Wow. The whole, like, it was so bad. So then I'm back at square one. And that makes you anxious as well, being like, now I have to start over. Yeah. Because when you take medicine, when you find the, the right one for you, it's literally trial and error. Yeah. Even the best doctors in the entire world, no two persons the same. So they can't be like, oh, you have bipolar two, this will definitely work for you. Yeah. And that's the other side of it. Like, I think I mentioned early on in the first time we did this, like, I also have bipolar disorder that wasn't right. uh, diagnosed until later until I was like, in my 20s. Yeah. Um, Which so is another medication, of- right? So that's a, is that a different yeah. medication? Okay. So did that medication mm-hmm. still continue on for you, like, after? No. So you had to switch up all your medications after Violet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. How long did that take to to regulate everything? Until, like, right now. Really? Like. Wow. Yeah. Because you I, said, like, I, I know. found oh. the perfect combo. Now. Okay. Because you said with Julian, too, it was the worst, right? Postpartum depression was the worst with Julian. So do you think that has something to do with not being able to figure out the medication before your third child? I definitely think that's a piece. Yeah, I I definitely think that's a piece of it. Um, Julian was also a very special circumstance, too, because he was born during uh, a huge surge of COVID. Mm. So on top of being isolated for however many years we were, uh, then I was, it's almost like with Thea, I isolated myself on purpose. With Julian, I craved, I craved human interaction, like people, because we hadn't had that for so long. And then boom, like nobody could come over. Then him and the rest of my family got COVID. So nobody, you know, nobody, even though he was so cute and squishy and adorable, nobody's going to come over when 
Except my dad, because my I'm pretty sure my dad gave us COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> He's okay. He came over because he had just recovered, but still, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, yeah, that all came crashing down. Right. Right. Yeah, that period was so hard, I think, on so many parents, you know, in general, but especially if you just had a child and, you know, you can't get help, right? I mean, no. like, when you have a baby, you know, I mean, I don't know how many times I feel like a broken record, like, you need help. You need people to be there for you, yes. you know, and um, COVID definitely. Need your village. Yeah. yeah. And COVID really prevented that. So how did it affect your mental state, I guess? So your home, no one can come over. You guys get sick. You have two other little ones. Like what happens? You go into autopilot again. Yeah. That's, survive. that's the only way I can describe it again is that like fight or flight. Like I was I in a whole separate topic. Like COVID already took years off my life mm-hmm. and that is because my anxiety wasn't being managed well. So right. throw in a global pandemic and everyone, the news telling people that everyone's dying. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you know, that was like a huge concern for everyone, right? I mean, like, I think everyone's yeah. anxiety just skyrocketed. So if you're already having trouble with your anxiety and you add COVID in, yeah, it's, yeah, that was like the tip. That was like the beginning of the end for me was COVID isolation. Um, you know, the fact that I lost three pregnancies before getting pregnant with Julian. Wow. And then all of a sudden, all of this just hits at once and then add in all yeah. the postpartum. Um, oh, my God, Amanda, know, I'm so sorry. That must have been horrible. I got... Yeah, I got postpartum preeclampsia. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but postpartum. You know, you get the gist. Yeah. Um. After Julian. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. Hmm. Didn't know that was a thing at all. But my blood. I think I just thought my blood pressure wasn't great in the hospital because he wasn't feeding well. I was wasn't sleeping. I would go right back to staying up all night. Um. And my blood pressure was super bad. And then they were like, watch for this, this, and this when you go home from the hospital. And when you know it, my leg blows up like a balloon. My My ribs start burning. And I'm like, I need help. And then I went back to the hospital. And there were, it looked like, Megan, it looked like a, a movie, like a horror movie. Like there were people over here that were there with a stomach bug. There were people that couldn't breathe, which I'm assuming was COVID, and babies there that couldn't breathe because it was also RSV season. And I cr- like that was it for a while. That was it. I cracked and couldn't go back. Wow. Like, well, they were able to help you not- though with the preeclampsia, though, right? Yeah. Okay. So they yeah, they it. put me on some blood pressure meds for a little while. Um, but I went back, they were like, there's a 16 hour wait, but don't leave because, uh, you know, that's against medical advice. I'm like 16 hours. That would be 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Like, I have a baby. I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I have a five day old baby and I can't risk whatever all these people have. Um, but that, 
that right there, that was my break, my breaking point for my mental, like where it started with Julian. And it started so much earlier, five days old. And I had already had a nervous breakdown. Wow. And it just, it was ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows. And I couldn't find the right medication. I was either raging or crying. Um, And then, you know, good days peppered in between. Yeah. But, um, But then we all got sick again and I didn't sleep, I think, for like three weeks, more than like two hours at a time. Oh, my God. And I just, I broke. Yeah. And that's what. That's when I went. Um, that's when I went to the emergency room, and I was like, "I need help. I don't feel safe around myself." There were no like plans of harm, but there was that thought of, "I don't want to be here." Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, and I can't even describe it. There wasn't like a specific, again, plan. I didn't say I want to, you know, do this or do that, but the thought that I cannot bear to be here anymore I can't I'm failing I can't do this like everyone's better off like it was just too much yeah Yeah. too much too much yeah now when you went to the emergency room like how did they help you did they send you to your therapist or like how did they help you well they were completely overbooked that night so I think giving me uh just that space they they took everything that they took my necklaces, they took my watch, they took my rings, they took my phone charger, like everything I had. And I knew at that moment, like, okay, this is serious. Like they, I just sat there and I, they didn't really give me, they didn't really do anything. I sat there and waited for a doctor for like six hours. Wow. And, but it was weird that like the redirection of it all, like it was so busy and chaotic. Like I wasn't in like a um, psychiatric portion of the hospital. Mm. I was in like the emergency triage. Like there was a drunk guy over here. It was New Year's Eve. So it was lots of, uh, lots of drunk people, lots of people coming in through the ambulance. And it was weird that like spending six hours being like, Oh my goodness. They were like, do you have a therapist? Yes. Do you have someone who can prescribe medication that you can get in touch with ASAP? And I did. I had had an appointment for like the 2nd of January. I just needed to get, yeah, not the 2nd, yeah. some second week in January. And I just needed to get there, but I felt like I couldn't. Yeah. And I was like, yes. And they're like, okay, well, if you feel like you're not a danger to yourself, if you have no plans to do anything and only thoughts I want you to try to try to sleep well that's what we're prescribing you you need to go home and you need to sleep and call your therapist the very first thing in the morning and I had already told her that I was there so she um she was in touch with me and that's what I did I it was almost weird like I couldn't sleep before then but hearing doctor it was almost like they gave me the permission you need to sleep yeah. I went home and I slept about 14 hours that night. Wow. And I still woke up feeling exhausted mentally. Like I was like emotionally hungover. Yeah. Like, um, you know, in the next few days we're kind of like that. Like 
I was, you know, texting my mom at two in the morning being like, ah, I need to go back. Like, I don't feel like I can do this. And mm -hmm. she's like, you can do this. And this is, this is your rock bottom. That's what it was, was my rock bottom. Yeah. The only place to go from there was up. And she's like, you need to choose to put in the work and it's going to be the hardest. And I did. Yeah. Like, cause I never want to feel like that again. Yeah. And it's funny when people are like, are you going to try for another baby? And it's like, do I want a big family? Yes. But that scared me enough that I will know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it got progressively worse right. with each, with each kid. And you're like, and it right. manifests so differently. That yeah. Yeah. And you have to think of yourself, right? Cause like, I mean, I'm sure in those moments you're mm -hmm. like, this isn't me. This isn't who I am as a mom. Right. You know, like you knew it wasn't you. Yeah. So like to put yourself through that again and risk not being you and having to like fight for yourself like you did. Like I, I can totally see why you wouldn't choose to do that. And I don't think you should ever, ever feel guilty about that. You have three beautiful children and you're back now. Exactly. Right. Like you're you. You and yeah. Do you feel in, now that you know yourself way. better than ever? That's exactly what I was going to say. It, I mean, in the moment, it was terrible and it was all bad and I felt like I would never survive. But on the flip side, it helped me get to know myself, find yeah. myself, like yeah. prioritize myself. I don't think my husband is awesome. He, if I said I need to do this, I need to do that, he will be like, great, you can. But I didn't know how to even ask him or tell him I needed to whatever. So he allowed that knowing what I know and putting in that work allows me to prioritize things like sleep. Mm -hmm. Like when I say, like just last night, I was like, listen, I'm feeling some sort of way. I'm going to, I'm going to turn in early. Like you got all this. And he said, yep, no problem. And before yeah. I would feel so guilty. Yeah. So guilty. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this because I like, feel like it's such a stigma out there that if we're not constantly doing something or constantly doing something for our family that we feel guilty that we're not doing enough, right? And I know yes. that's like such a common feeling with women and moms in general. And it's just not true. Like taking care of your needs. Like if you hadn't taken care of yourself, how are you supposed to take care of your children? You know, you have to be able right. to take care of yourself. I saw a thing online. It was like, I don't know what who needs to hear this, what women need to hear this, but taking a shower and doing basic needs by yourself isn't self-care, isn't mm -hmm. a treat. It's literally what we need to do. And right. that like kind of like hit me because I would like thank my husband being like, you know, thanks for thanks for keeping them down here so I could take an uninterrupted shower or you know, thanks for letting me grab a nap. And I'm like, <laughs> like, these are actually like essential things. Right, right. No, I, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, that's pretty much my business model as a women's health coach. Cause it's like, these aren't, this isn't, it, it's the real self-care, right? It's stuff that we actually <laughs> have to have. So like sleeping, hygiene, you know, taking some time alone yeah. with our thoughts, you know, just for our mental health and all of these things, moving your body. They're things that we actually have to do so we can show up as the people that we want to yes. be. I mean, luxuries are more like nails, hair, all that stuff that are great too, but that's right. not self-care. Taking care of yourself is like 
how am I going to show up today with my energy, with my patience, you know, being the person that I, I want to be or who I am, you know, that's taking care of yourself. And mm-hmm. um, it's not something that should, should be like negotiable, you know, it's just like, it should be regular yeah. and we should not feel guilty in any way or selfish exactly. in doing that. Yeah. Well, and I think you kind I of got. Shirt today. I know. I noticed that I love it. Um, Self love club, and I had this super cute outfit that I wanted to wear today, and it's pouring like crazy here, and my hair got all wet. Anyways, but I was like strolling through Target, and I was it like jumped at me. I was like, I love it. How perfect for yeah podcast about mental health and right, right, and I it. yeah, yeah, no, and I think like. You kind of got shoved into all this mental health stuff with postpartum depression. But I mean, how do you feel now? Like, like I said, I mean, it must have changed you, right? Do you feel like you're so grown now, like mentally and physically? Yeah. Yeah, I feel it's weird. Like on one hand, like I feel like there are some instances where I'm like, I don't feel like a grown up. I don't feel like I'm grown up enough to like be doing things like I I'm one of the youngest in one of the, one of the school, like Thea's grade. And I'm like, I don't, seeing all these moms have their stuff together, I don't feel grown up enough for this. But also when I see, I make it like now part of my life's work to advocate for mental health and to be open and honest. Like, I know you had reached out after you saw a Facebook post I made and Mm -hmm. Facebook isn't a, huge platform but also like yeah I I feel like I have grown in all aspects like like with self-care and self-love I learned how to love myself I learned how to I learned so many different ways to cope and to get myself kind of out of tough situations and I can relay them to like other people in all, like when they're going, like a, one of my best friends is going through a divorce right now and she is down Yeah, and you know, her mental health took a toll and she called me because she's like, you're the only person I know that's been through it like this. Like I need, I need to, I need your secrets and it's nice. It's nice in that sense. But like, yeah, I almost feel too grown. Like I know like I've learned too much almost like like for your age, age too yeah yeah people people my age are still like I I don't know I was the first to have kids mm-hmm. and then almost oh no it's okay yeah yeah you because you're my brother's age and yeah I yeah. mean you are super young to um have three children and to have been through you know everything that you've been through yeah but like I I see it as like when I saw your post on Facebook and you say it's not a huge platform but like even you know speaking out about it there and helping one person and like a lot of the women that come on here and talk with me it's like they're like if my story helps one person you know then it's worth it and that's really like that's what we're here for you know to put the resources that you use to put the support out there yeah and be like your feelings are valid they might not be exactly like yours Amanda but like what you're feeling postpartum what you're feeling if you're going through traumatic mm-hmm. events, it it matters and it could be something and you can still reach out for support and help and not question like how you're feeling. Yes, exactly. You know, you knowing my family too know that like 
the last couple of years have been crummy with traumatic events yeah. left and right with the loss of my brother and yeah. my stepdad. And I definitely think those had a, had a way of kind of pushing me into Absolutely. a mental state too. Yeah. Uh, especially after, especially after Julian was born. Um, I think because they had met my other two kids mm. and I feel it's almost like a selfish feeling too, like being like sad that mm. like, even though they had, I was the only one who had kids that they met that they weren't going to get to meet this one. It was almost like a, like a finality of it, even though it's yeah. been five years, six years that like life is moving on. And again, it's like that I go back to not like survivor's guilt, but like you feel guilty moving on with certain aspects of life, like yeah. putting some things behind you, whether it's NICU time, death, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's always going to be there though, right? I mean, I had mm -hmm. someone say to me, I think it was on one of the podcasts. They're like, you're never not going to feel overwhelmed. It's like how you feel within those feelings and how you react to it. And it's like those mm -hmm. people are, were your family. You know, that feeling of grief is probably yeah. never going to go away fully. But it's like you've come up with strategies now how to cope with it. Right? Is that like mm -hmm. how you would think like therapy is going? Yeah. 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 yeah, because, I mean, they're your loved ones. You can't, like, I have feelings of that, like, with my grandparents. Like, my grandparents never got to meet, um, you know, my child. And I would have feelings of guilt um, with that. But it's like, why are we feeling guilty? I mean, exactly. I, I don't know where the guilt comes from. Like you said, maybe it's, like, survivors or – but, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure about that. That would be something to, like – which I'm sure you've asked your therapist – but to ask your therapist or a psychiatrist and be like, why do I feel these feelings of, of guilt? Right? Because you said it. Did you say that? I did. I was like, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why. And my therapist actually said, she's like, like, it happens a lot with people that, and, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. She's like, you're super empathetic and mm -hmm. people pleasing and, you want everyone around you to be happy and feel, feel happy. Yeah. Like that is the worst part is like knowing that you can't help somebody. Right. And right. Like that, that woman with the baby that was next to Thea and like the rest yeah. of my family. Yeah. You know, you can't grief and overwhelming feelings are oh again, my God, not yeah. one size fits all. Yeah, and I don't think they go away. I mean, I still – my grandparents have been gone for a long time, and I still – if I see a picture, it's like a pang, you know, of, like, pain. It's uh, – Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, like, so constant, but it's also – it hits you kind of out of nowhere. Like, I'll hear a song, and all of a sudden, next thing you know in the car, I'm bawling my eyes out, and you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. I wasn't even sad. Yeah, but so I feel like – happy like memories. That means you're, like, so in tune with your emotions, though, and I love that because, like, I'm, like, a cry fighter, I feel like. I'm, like, no, I'm not going to cry, you know, type of <laughs> thing. <laughs> but just just cry, I love right? to cry. If you... I love to cry. Oh, my God. Have you seen the movie Elemental? 
yeah. and the the boy just yes. like tears all the time and I just like I think that's so hilarious because yeah I'm like the opposite of that I mean I've come a long way over the years I'll definitely like cry but I feel like just but my <laughs> are you that boy I can't Wade his name's Wade like I am that boy <laughs> my kid has my kid has to think that I'm some sort of lunatic because like some people like I just I cry and I don't even hide it either because yeah you know I can't hide I don't I'm not one of the people that internal I can't internalize things because that's what gets me into you know these emotional pickles right but they see me cry all the time when I'm happy <laughs> I cry a lot when I'm mad yeah so they're like like if I get really frustrated like even like if I'm doing something around the house like I'm I was you know trying to fix a chair or a gate the other day and I got so mad that I like couldn't do it like I just sat down and I cried <laughs> well they must be really good and then I get up and I'm like <laughs> you feel better right I need to get yeah. better at that. I bet your kids are really good at expressing their emotions, though, right? If they see you express your emotions uh, so well. Sort of. Thea, Thea needs to tone down her expressing of emotions. She is a very, she's like, and she's so like me that, like, it almost, like, you class. doesn't vibe yeah. well sometimes. Yeah. But, like, she she's very good at it. And Violet will be... I have taught them to like tell tell me. Mm -hmm. Like Violet will just scream out like, I am sad or I am <laughs> frustrated. I love that. That's amazing. I mean, I think that's so good to be just so in tune with your body. I mean, that's great. So what advice could you give to women out there, Amanda, that might be like either about to have a baby or you know, are having some weird feelings? Like would you say find a ther start looking for a therapist right now? That would be your number one. I would, till I'm blue in the face, tell people that therapy, your relation, finding a therapist that you can have a good relationship with is probably one of the most helpful things will be one of the most important relationships in your life if mm. you finally find something. You don't even have to be in crisis to have a therapist. It's yeah. nice just to have someone to bounce things off of and like you said like if you find the right one they're like your bestie right like I love my girl and I think there are so many therapists out there that have so many different specialties yeah that you can find one and if you don't feel comfortable with a therapist and whatever just find a village an online village of someone close group of friends family yeah but having people is the most important tool that I've had like and I think it's pretty universal that nobody likes to be alone in their right. feelings and their self yeah even people that like to be alone still need that you know warm hug or a virtual warm hug like yes something to let them know that they are not in fact alone yeah. I I found comfort especially during COVID in a lot of online support. Like I'm in, I think I use Facebook more for the groups that I'm in. Yeah. You know, mom's groups, grief groups, bipolar groups. Yeah. There is something out there for everybody that doesn't yeah. have to be just a therapist. But I think, I think that is for me, number one. 
Yeah. I can't go without a therapist. I can't. Yeah. I need someone out, an outsider to be, to know me, but also not be so close like a family member or a friend. Yeah. They know everybody in my life personally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Anyway, I was telling you about the doctor that's coming on the pod this weekend. And she said, you know, as a psychiatrist, that there is like a shortage of psychiatrists in the United States. Um, and most of mental health is taken care of by primary care doctors who don't have the time, you know, within their 15 minute window of your appointment to exactly. talk through this stuff with you. So getting a therapist, getting a psychiatrist, a psychologist, whichever one you want to use, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really important, especially postpartum to have that in place. Yeah. And it's not, you're not weak. To, I wish I spoke up sooner at all of my appointments after like ask more questions, been more dil- diligent. Cause my, my OB's office was actually the one that pointed me in the direction of the therapist I have now. Okay. Because when I said that, you know, I just had a baby. My primary care was like, call your OB. OB says call primary. And finally, I like just pushed back. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of OB's offices have the resources, but don't mm-hmm. dole them out like, yeah, you know, like they should because they can shove they can shove antidepressants in your face. So whatever. But yeah, if you if you've been whacked with a really bad case of whatever. Those don't always work. Right. And right. some people just accept, I, I asked for help. This is what they gave me. It didn't work. Push harder. Like you feel stuck. But yeah, push harder. And I feel like even just like, I mean, I know I'm trying to work with pediatric offices to just offer a card, you know, to be like, all right, here's sleep support. Take it. Like if this could be for anything yeah. postpartum, like here's a therapist card. Here's a pelvic floor specialist card. You know, all these things. Because yes. if they don't have time for it, I understand. I know. Like I know they don't have the time for it. But just to be able to give some resources for people to find, like you said, if an antidepressant didn't work or instead of just throwing an antidepressant at it right let's get you the help you need here's a place to start right I love my doctor but they actually like tried to like multitask and I felt a little bit like that's when I was like I decided to push harder because they tried to kill two birds with one stone they're checking me to make sure I'm recovering and healing and they're like by the way like how are you feeling mentally and I'm like find this wildly inappropriate to talk to right now. <laughs> I'm feeling vulnerable. Right. And, but also in every sense of the word, like, I don't know. I think, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. we need to be our own best advocate because yep. what we've learned, like you just said, with the shortage of psychiatric help in meds, there are, there are no meds to be given. Yeah. I had to switch one of them recently because nobody has any. Wow. But I think learning how to be your own best advocate, that's something you can learn in therapy or you can learn just from, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Being pushy but, isn't a bad thing. You know, you have to advocate for no. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. Like, like I said in the beginning, like, I really appreciate you being brave and speaking out about this and telling your thank story. You. It's incredible. And, um, I mean, I know it inspires me and I know it will help so many women out there. More than one. More than one. Yeah. 
So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Excellent. All right. Bye. Have a great day. day.